I'm gonna show you how great I am. This was our final tower. I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Hello, and welcome to How to Take Over the World. This is Ben Wilson, and this is the Napoleon Endnotes episode. This is a subscriber-only episode, so you can hear the first 10 minutes or so for free, and then after that, it'll be locked for paying subscribers only. If you'd like to listen to the full episode, go to takeoverpod.supercast.com or click the link in the show notes, and you can sign up there. And by the way, I have gotten a little bit of feedback from people who are really upset that they can't access every single episode. I do think that some of these Endnotes episodes are really high value, if you are a student or if for some reason you can't afford the premium tier, then just shoot me an email and I would be happy to give you a year free. I'll put my email in the show notes and you can just shoot me one sentence. All I want is, hey, my name is John and right now I'm a student at the University of Nevada. That's enough. If you're a student, I'll give you a year free. Uh, or, hey, my name is Joe and I just got laid off. I don't have any money right now, but I could really use the inspiration and that's it. And I'll give you a year free. So, you know, you guys are my listeners. I love you. I have no reason to think that any of you would be dishonest with it. So if you can't afford it right now and you would like to listen to these premium episodes, just shoot me a note and uh, let's make it happen. All right, let's get into it. Let's start off talking about the psychology of Napoleon. What was this man all about? What made him tick? And it's a very difficult question. Napoleon himself found it very difficult. Uh, He said, quote, I would have found it very difficult to assert with any degree of truth. What was my whole and real intention? And that is obviously true. I mean, just think about yourself, right? What motivates you? I'm sure you can point to a few things that motivate you, that are what drive you to do what you do. But I'm sure I could find a few times in your life where you might say, okay, one of the big things for me is prioritizing family. And I could find a time when you were unkind to your family or you did something else. You didn't prioritize time with your family. And that's because you had a moment of weakness or you just had other priorities. There are other things that matter to you, maybe not as much, but in that moment, they took a higher priority. The same thing with Napoleon, right? He's a complex man with lots of different competing motivations and thoughts. And you can find lots of things that contradict each other in the life of Napoleon, but that doesn't mean that there are no through lines and it's impossible to say anything about his psychology. So I'm going to say some things that I learned from how he thought, okay? The first thing to understand is that greatness is closely related to addiction. All great leaders are addicted to what they do. And that's true of Napoleon as well. So he has a quote, he said, work is my element. I am born and built for work. I have known the limitations of my legs. I have known the limitations of my eyes. I have never been able to know the limitations of my working capacity. And that's definitely true. He was addicted to work. And you can see this in the fact that the one time he's depressed in his life is when he has no meaningful work to do right? He's stuck in this bureau of maps and topography in Paris and and can't work and gets depressed. And there's a quote from one of his biographers that says, to his lucid mind, inaction was unbearable. And I think that's a good way of phrasing it. I also think it's important to understand that he believed in destiny. And I mentioned that in some of the previous episodes, but I want to emphasize this, that he had no definite ideas about what that destiny was. And so he trusted to it completely even after his fall, he, he thought that his fall must have been a part of his destiny. He was very stoic in that way, that whatever happened w- was destiny. So, so some of his quotes about destiny, he said, destiny must be fulfilled. That is my chief doctrine. He said, all my life, I have sacrificed everything, comfort, self-interest, happiness to my destiny. 
It is the part of wisdom and of politics to do what destiny ordains and to follow the lead of the irresistible march of events. And that's another important thing to understand is he didn't think that he had this grand master plan. In fact, he said he had no grand master plans, but he was just responding to events, to what destiny was throwing in his path. So another quote, he said, I had few really definite ideas. And the reason for this was that instead of obstinately seeking to control circumstances, I obeyed them and they forced me to change my mind all the time. Thus it happened that most of the time, to tell the truth, I had no definite plans, but only projects. And I really like what he said there at the end. I had no definite plans, but only projects. And I think that's a smart way to manage your life, to think of it as a series of projects instead of one big master plan, one big goal that you need to achieve, uh, one big defining virtue or value that you embody. It's a series of projects, right? And you take those one by one. Steve Jobs was also very much like this, right? He didn't believe in a grand master plan. He just went from project to project as things came into his path. And he has that famous quote where he says, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And so that's true of Napoleon as well. He wasn't trying to connect the dots. I'm going here, then here, then here, then here. He was only connecting the dots looking backwards. And there's another quote where he explains exactly how he approached this. He said, this is so true that when at the beginning of my reign during the consulate, my true friends and most enthusiastic champions asked me with the best intentions and for their own guidance where I was heading, I always answered that I had not the least idea. This astonished and possibly annoyed them. And yet I was telling them the truth. The fact was that I was not master of my actions because I was not so insane as to attempt to bend events to conform to my policies. On the contrary, I've bent my policies to accord with the unforeseen shapes of the events. It's been interesting to me, you know, through this podcast, I've had a lot of really successful people reach out and want to connect and I've been able to talk with them. And I always ask, you know, what's the grand master plan? What are you really trying to achieve in life? And I'm shocked at how many times these really, really successful people have no answer. And it's because they're like Napoleon. They just uh, go with events. They're addicted to what they're doing. They have a series of projects, you know, maybe one, three, five, sometimes 10 year projects, but no grand master plan. So that's one of my big takeaways. See your life as a series of projects. You know, I talked last episode about how ambitious Napoleon was and he was ambitious, but he didn't view it that way. He actually said, I have no ambition, uh, but then he did qualify it. And I think this explains how he was both extremely ambitious and not ambitious at the same time. Here's how he viewed it. He said, I have no ambition. If I have any ambition, it is so natural to me, so innate, so intimately linked with my existence that it is like the blood that circulates in my veins, like the air I breathe. I never am obliged to fight either against or for ambition. Ambition never is in a greater hurry than I. It merely keeps place with the circumstances and with my general way of thinking. Okay, so from that I get ambition was the way he acted. Ambition was not these ultimate goals, which he did not have, right? Ambition was, it was just, yes, he, he always wanted to be on top. He was always acting in a way that was ambitious. Um, but in another way of looking at it, he wasn't ambitious. At least he didn't think of it that way because he, he wasn't trying to execute some grand master plan. You know, when it comes to his rule, he, he always said, I found the crown of France in the gutter and I picked it up. In other words, I wasn't vying to be emperor of France. It wasn't this big grand master ambition. I just... There I was, <laughs> it was lying there in the gutter and I picked it up and I put it on my head. At the same time though, you can't take him too much at his word, or, or I guess he has contradictory statements a little bit. He said, uh, here's, here's another quote. I wanted to rule the world. And in order to do this, I needed unlimited power. 
Who wouldn't have in my place? The world begged me to govern it, and nations vied with one another in throwing themselves under my scepter. So there again, he wanted to rule the world, not because he had some grand master ambition from when he was a child, but rather because he just kept acquiring more power and there it was to be ruled. Uh, he has another thing where he says, there is only one thing to do in this world, and that is to keep acquiring more and more money and power. All the rest is chimerical. And so there it is. I mean, in one way, he was ambitious because he was just trying to acquire more money and power. But in another sense, he was just doing that day by day, step by step, project by project. And yet again, it's contradicted a little bit by some of these big dreams. You know, he said, I love to dream by night. And then I would measure my dreams with calipers by day. In other words, you know, I let my mind go into this fantasy land of what I could possibly accomplish. And then in the day he says, okay, is that really possible? You know, he, he talks about calipers, like he's very scientifically measuring whether he can actually accomplish these things, but he does have these grand dreams. And these started to come to him in Egypt. He said, after the victory of the pyramids and the capture of Cairo, then indeed, I felt that I could abandon myself to the most brilliant dreams. And they were, <laughs> I mean, unbelievably, listen to this. What were these dreams? Here's what he said. In Egypt, I found myself freed from the obstacles of an irksome civilization. I was full of dreams and I saw the means by which I could carry out all that I had dreamed. I saw myself founding a religion, marching into Asia, riding an elephant, a turban on my head and in my hand, the new Quran that I would have composed to suit my needs. In my undertakings, I would have combined the experiences of the two worlds, exploiting for my own profit, the theater of all history, attacking the power of England and India, and by means of that conquest, renewing contact with the old Europe. The time I spent in Egypt was the most beautiful of my life, for it was the most ideal. And so it's interesting to see how this plays out, because on the one hand, he has dreams of founding a religion, being a new Mohammed, marching into India and founding a world empire. On the other hand, he really was, you just get this feeling reading through what he has to say, that he was this hardcore pragmatist. He hated ideology. Uh, he has this quote, constitution, unconstitutional, republic, popular sovereignty, big words, big phrases. So long as I live, I shall rule as I please. My son will have to be a liberal. In other words, he hated this constitutional, const unconstitutional, republic, sovereignty, monarchy. Who cares, man? I just want things to work. Uh, and he expressed that disdain for what he called system mongers. And that is, in other words, ideologues, uh, pe people who had real ideas about how things should go, kind of independent of what was or wasn't working. He said, I take good care not to fall into the error of our modern system mongers. I do not believe that I unite in my person and my ideas the wisdom of the nations. The true wisdom of the nations is experience. And that is definitely not how he started. You know, he said, until I was 16, I would have fought to the death for Rousseau. So he was this Jacobin, this ideologically committed liberal, far left liberal. And then, you know, later in life, he has these quotes where he says, the strong are good, only the weak are wicked. Be successful. I judge men only by the results of their actions. Don't talk to me of goodness, of abstract justice, of natural law. Necessity is the highest law. Public welfare is the highest justice. Unto each day, the evil thereof. To each circumstance, its own law. Each man according to his nature. So he didn't like these sweeping generalizations that would bind him to a certain course of action uh, because that was how things always worked. He wanted to be able to evaluate each circumstance individually, look at how events were unfolding and respond to it as appropriate. Okay, 
So that is kind of his view of the universe, right? You've got destiny and destiny is guiding him no matter what happens. And so he has to go along with it and kind of figure out each thing as it comes. He has no big ambition, just projects. And in order to accomplish these projects, he wants to be very pragmatic and just make things work. So in order to make all that work, what was he like? What was his leadership style like? Okay, that does it for the free preview of this Napoleon End Notes episode. If you would like to subscribe and hear the whole thing, go to takeoverpod.supercast.com or click on the link in the show notes. Until next time, thank you for listening to How to Take Over the World.